Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. No One Likes Us Clothing is the clothing range designed by Millwall fans for Millwall fans. Caps, t-shirts, polos, they've got it all. Visit noonelikesus.co.uk for the full range. Or, if you're in Bermondsey on a match day, why not have a pint in the Blue Anchor pub and pick up a Nolu polo shirt, Nolu clothing, www.noonelikesus.co.uk. You're listening to Achtung Mool, broadcasting from the beautiful South Bermondsey. Accept no substitute. Well, good morning, dear listeners. Welcome to my back garden. Apologies in advance if you uh, hear any urban noises. Often it's quite peaceful at the moment. It's a beautiful uh, summer's morning, August morning. So I thought we'd take the chance here on Achtung Millwall to revive one of our summertime traditions, the close season traditions of the random fixture from the past. And our randomizer, random.org, has chosen the number 1936, 1936. For us today and the closest fixture that I can find to today which is the 23rd of August as I record these notes um, in 1936 was the start of the season opening day program on the 29th of August 1936 Mill would play Bristol Rovers after a fairly busy summertime. Um, the game would finish a 2-1 loss for Millwall after a big build-up this is a very traditional mill trait listeners isn't it the the grand opening that thought you were you fall flat on your face this is very much this particular match mill one bristol rovers two uh opening day in third division south for the 1936-37 season played in front of a remarkable 28,520 at Coldblow lane um the reason for the interest um, more than most in in that particular Season which was the first full season of uh, one of the big figures of our club's history, Charlie Hewitt. He'd actually joined the Lions in April, at the back end of the 1935-36 season. Uh, joined in the April, uh, replacing Bill McCracken. Um, but this was the first full season where Charlie Hewitt, uh, very much a modern manager, I think you'd probably say, he wanted complete control of the club in, in many different aspects. And the summertime close season of 1936 had seen quite a few changes both on and off the pitch. A very big personality. We've covered Charlie Hewitt a few times on these shows with Neil and myself talking about his 
position as one of the major names from our club's history. Controversial character. Um, for all the good, there'd always be a bad. And um, he's a man who divided opinion. I think that's probably the best we can say on, on Charlie Hewitt in this particular show. This was the first full season of his, of his management. And he was a man who had a very clear and defined vision of what Millwall could be and, and should be. He was ambitious. He wanted to take us into the first division. And like many others over the course of our club's history, he wanted to change Mill FC. And it brought in a remarkable um, five-point programme um, covering such things as playing good football. Um, uh, <laughs> the one that leapt out at me in his five-point programme was that no barracking of the players' opposition or Millwall or referee should take place. He believed in sportsmanship and that the club's fans should aim for a higher level of sportsmanship than it had become known for. He wanted to turn around the reputation of the club and take it higher. Um, good luck with that, Charlie. I think that's probably the best we can say. Um, quite a lot of playing staff changes. We'll come back to those in a moment. But he also repainted the den. He brought in uniform staff, match day staff, put flags on the corners of the stadium, played music before the game, um, replaced the gas lighting at the old ground with electric and expanded the match day programme from a, a basic four-page effort to a larger 12-page. My eye still drawn to that no barracking uh, line. That, that didn't work. Much of the other stuff did work. He also changed our colours away from the traditional dark blue, Scottish Dundee blue that we'd played in since formation on the Isle of Dogs and turned us out in a bright royal blue shirt with a, um, a, a dramatic red line on the chest. You can still see these shirts on the likes of uh, Toffs do it. I, I, I don't know if any other retailers do it, Re retro football shirt retailers. It's very much a classic 1930s look royal blue shirts with the old red line on the chest. As Lions of the South put it, um, Charlie Hewitt's impact and then the den would never be the same again after Charlie Hewitt for better and for worse. Now as part of his desire to play football that would bring in the crowds, this was very much his, his ambition for the club to expand, achieve a high level and pack the den, fill the den to give it a modern twist. Uh, so he made a few, uh, quite a few playing changes. Out during the summertime went Stan Alexander, Yardley, Newcomb and Turnbull. And in came a new trainer, Frank Jefferies, Dave Mangnall, of whom more in a little bit, plus 10 other signings. So it was, it was a pretty much a new squad that took the field in this particular game against Bristol Rovers. The game was played on a blindingly hot day, 80 degree plus temperatures. Um, across the country, actually. Newspapers report good temperatures all over the country. Uh, your Mule team for this opening day fixture against Bristol Rovers that would go quite, quite sour on us, really, losing 2-1. Uh, Ewell in gold and Wassell, Eastsmith, Day, Hancock, Malak, Thomas, Mangnall, who we've already mentioned, uh, F. Burdett, uh, McCartney and J.R. Smith on the wing. Now, although this would be a disappointing opening day loss for Charlie Hewitt, this 1936-37 season would go on to be one of the most remarkable in Mill club history. Um, a decent eighth finish in the table eventually at the end of the season, but this is notable, this, this season is noteworthy. For the FA Cup semi-final run, where we'd lose to Sunderland 
uh, 2-1 in the semi-finals. But having dispatched Manchester City, Derby County in front of huge crowds, Chelsea at the Den, um, it was one of the great um, FA Cup runs of club history. All the more um, of an achievement because obviously we were playing as a third division club, third division South football club. So big summertime of expectation. Um, Hollywood star Sophie Tucker was in the CBL crowd. A radio, American singer, radio star, as, as the newspapers put it, Ruth Etting was also there. Um, the place had been repainted. We've got page boys wearing uniform. The whole thing is set up for a big mill performance, listeners, isn't it? So what happens when the day is set for a big mill win? Any Millwall fan of any length of time standing knows exactly what happens and that's we fall on our face and that's what happened this day against Bristol Rovers. Reynolds new pa- newspaper has a headline, Millwall thrashed, not thrashed. The Daily Herald, Millwall flourished to no avail. Tidman is the hero of a fine Bristol Rovers attack. Um, I'll read the report by one AJ Webb. This is from the uh, Monday edition of the Daily Herald on August the 31st. Nice picture of... Uh, Dave Mangnall, late of West Ham, we will come back to Dave Mangnall, Um, mentions Ruth Etting, the American singer, we'll come back to Ruth Etting, just to let you know who she was, and there's a Millwall page boy resplendent in his buttons, and Mangnall wearing the new, um, quite light blue, royal blue shirt with a red, blazing red line on the chest. The report says the new Millwall theme song at New Cross is in the Millwall March, they call it, is in like lions and out like lambs. In every respect, this sums up a remarkable afternoon. 30,000 people went to see Millwall win handsomely, yet they went home arguing about the obvious merits of the Rovers, Bristol Rovers, a team in which Pickering and Tidman were the highlights. Millwall certainly went off with a flourish. Commissioners in bright uniforms, bellboys in glittering brass buttons, and the team led like gladiators into the arena by a famous radio star. That would be Miss Etting, Ruth Etting. Then a picturesque variety act to while away the 10-minute interval at half-time. Um, moreover, Millwall went an early goal up. Dave Mangnall taking full opportunity of a lapse by a priest to score from close range. 1-0 Millwall. What can possibly go wrong? And despite the terrific heat, play continued at an astounding pace, says the Daily Herald. A fast game, in fact, for any sort of weather. And it was Bristol Rovers who lasted it the better. Rushed off their their feet in the first 15, Bristol gradually assumed a well-balanced style. The Herald reports their forward especially impressing with their speed and ability to give and take sharp passes at full stretch. Um, Houghton's goal was the result of some supreme confidence with Smith E, Mill defender, only a yard in front of him, he calmly trapped a centre from Tidman, twisted around the, in the back and fired home point blank. Defence was one of Mill's weaknesses. How many times are we going to hear that across our lives, listeners? And furthermore, Mill's shooting in the end became wild. But their chief fault down the ages was slowness to see opportunities when presented. Still, Nichols in the Rovers' goal was far from idle and made many fine saves. It does conclude on a hopeful note that Millwall, although defeated, need and have no misgivings as to the future. There is plenty of ability and punch in the front rank, especially inside, but it just did not blend correctly. The defence was not too strong, but I think time will show they're up against a very fine attack. Also, this is, largely speaking, a new side put together for a big opening day, so... Uh, Into modern parlance, I suppose they hadn't had time to gel, dear listeners, had they? Hadn't had their gel time. 
Now I thought we'd just have a quick look at our two top scorers for the season. 25 goals for Ken Burdett. Full name Frederick Charles Kendall Burdett. Um, quite a mouthful. Known as Ken. He had a brother George Burdett. Lesser, um, a lesser player than, than Ken. Overshadowed as the Mill Who's Who puts it. But we'll just look at Ken Burdett. Uh, played for us 1936 to 32 games for Millwall, 30 goals. Born in Ibstock, this must be a mining area. I'm, I'm just having a quick look and seeing where that is. Ibstock is in Derbyshire, near the place Ashby de la Zouche, just south of Derby, um, a coal mining area. The uh, write up for, for Ken Burdett. Uh, Ken says, uh, it says Ken spent five seasons with Norwich before joining younger brother George Burdett at the Den in August 1936. The winner of two Division Three South Champions medals, the first with the Canaries in 1933-34 and the second with the Lions later in 1938. He was also a member of the Mill side, which lost an FA Cup semi-final in April 1937. Being Mill's penalty taker helped him to finish um, top scorer with 17 in 1937. A coal miner during World War II, he was reported as still playing for Ibstock Colliery when he was in his 50s. This is a different level of uh, man that played football back then. These were working class men. He was a miner from a mining area, the Derbyshire Coalfields. And during the Second World War, he would undertake essential war work mining in the uh, Derbyshire fields late into his 50s. So that's Ken Burdett. The other uh, scorer for the season here... So 17 league goals that I've just mentioned. There's actually 24 in all competitions, including the cup run for Ken Burdett. But the other top scorer, the, the top scorer, if you if you take into account all competitions, was Dave Mangnall. 16 league goals, uh, 25 overall, sorry, 25 goals overall for Mangnall. A centre forward, again, playing with us 1936 to 38. 72 games for David Mangnall. Uh, 48 goals in that two-year period. He was born in Wigan. Died in Penzance in 1962, uh, born in 1905, passed away in 1962. A former miner, majestic and a natural goal scorer, once scored 10 goals for Leeds against Stockport County in a Northern Midweek League game. He was an FA Cup finalist with Huddersfield in 1930 and broke the Terriers' scoring record of 42 goals two years later. Reading from the Who's Who book, as you can probably tell, the Mill captain when they became the first third division club to reach the FA Cup semi-final in 1937 and then won a Division 3 South title the following season. Dave, a prolific scorer in wartime football, managed QPR later with great success and then ran a series of pubs before settling down in Penzance where he ran the Navy in and he passed away in Penzance in uh, 62. Dave Mangnall, big name in, uh, in Millwall goal scoring history. So there we have it, Millwall 1, Bristol Rovers 2. This would, as we've said, already go on to be a memorable, one of the great seasons by the side reaching the FA Cup semi-finals, but that would all come later on. But uh, for an opening day uh, flop, it's probably up there one of the best, really, after um, so much um, hoo-ha to lead us into Charlie Hewitt's opening season. Now, there are two names mentioned. Ruth Etting, who was one of the celebrities who um, was at the Den this particular day. She's an American uh, singer and actress, 1920s and 30s. Famous, really, for um, the number that I've heard of, The Shine on Harvest Moon. She also did a couple of other numbers, Ten Cent to Dance and Love Me or Leave Me. She starred with Doris Day and James Cagney in a film, Love Me or Leave Me, in the 1950s, known as America's Sweetheart of Song. Her, um, 
born in 1896, passed away at the age of 81 in Colorado Springs, 1978. So she was mentioned in the, the, the uh, Daily Herald. Um, I've not found any reference to this in, in the newspapers, but Lions of the South mentions Sophie Tucker being um, at the den for this particular match as well. Sophie Tucker was an American singer, comedian, actress and radio personality known for her powerful delivery of comical and risque songs, listeners. She was one of the most popular entertainers in the US during the first half of the, 9th, of the 20th century. And she was known by the nickname Last of the Red Hot Mamas. She was um, most famous for a song which I remember my grandfather singing, um, My Yiddish Mama, um, a song sung in English and Yiddish, sadder than the original Yiddish, according to Wikipedia, than the English translation. The mother implicitly symbolises a sense of nostalgia for the old world, as well as guilt for having left it behind and assimilation into American society. My Yiddish Mama. Um, big um, vaudeville um, star Sophie Tucker was in the Ziegfeld Follies, which was kind of like a, a glamour dance song and dance routine, mostly female, almost overwhelmingly female, I believe. And she'd been billed as the... Uh, she was a vaudeville star, like a music hall star. Last of the Red Hot Mamas was her, her tag, in which um, she kind of sang songs, cracked jokes, wires cracked, but a hearty sexual appetites. Um, I can imagine her being a storm in Millwall down the old Kent Road around Bermondsey, can't you listeners? I think, uh, as I say, no reference to her in any of the newspapers I found, that's just come from Lines of the South, but who am I to doubt um, Lines of the South? Not me, not me listeners. And while we're having a look at the back page of the of the Daily Herald, this one dated uh, Monday, August 31st, 19. 36, you have to turn your paper around and look at the front page after the sport. That's how it works. That's how it worked. I don't know if that's going to be a custom that fades away now with the uh, move to online digital news. Um, but certainly, I, whenever I bought a newspaper, I always had to start from the back and go to the front. Um, just me. Is it, did you do that too, listeners? I don't know. Anyway, on the front page of the Daily Herald, whilst we're about our business, Mill got beat, obviously, opening day. But on the front page, we see that the Queen Mary, the uh, ocean-going liner of the pride of, of uh, the Merchant Navy, uh, has won the Blue Ribboned. That was the fastest crossing of the Atlantic for a passenger liner. Um, and the report here says Queen Mary wins the Blue Ribboned. It was, it was kind of like um, an honorary um, competition. Uh, there was no trophy as such. It was just um, whichever ship um, could cross the Atlantic the fastest commercial passenger ship could cross the the, ship, the, uh, the Atlantic the fastest was awarded the notional prize of being holding the blue ribbon um, and previously it was held by the French liner Normandy um, but the Queen Mary has regained the blue ribbon of the Atlantic for Britain last night with three, uh, by beating the French crossing time by 3 hours 31 minutes she passed the Bishop Rock at 12 minutes past 8 having covered 2,939 miles, an average speed of 30 knots. Faster than Normandy's best average, says the Daily Herald. Uh, in other news, we see um, an Imperial Airways, forerunner of British Airways, um, one of the first flights uh, that to put down in the desert in, uh, in what we now would call suppose, Saudi Arabia, south of Bahrain, near Doha, in the Western Desert. Um, eight passengers and four members of the crew reported missing but have been found unhurt after an RAF search of the, of the desert. 
um, ran out of petrol. They missed the airstrip in that part of the world in the dark. It gives you a sense of that pre-radar, pre-modern communication sense of danger that would have accompanied any long-distance flight. Imperial Airways, of course, flew out of Croydon Airport. And um, post-war, I think they were rebranded as um, became British, British Airways. Eventually, there was BEA, British European, and BOAC, British Overseas. And I think that was Imperial was the forerunner. As, as a plane goes over, how about that? that? I couldn't plan that better, could I? And last story that catches my eye on the front page, a London murderer may be in a film. 150 feet of film shot by a photo flash cameraman on the curbside in King Street, Hammersmith, may enable the police to trace the person who killed Mrs Ada Fortescue of Shepherd's Bush, a uh, victim of the flat murder. This must be a, a cause celebre. This guy was filming in the street and um, the length of the film contains 1,000 exposures of people who've passed on the crowded pavements during the afternoon. The police hope that one or more of the films will show a picture of the murdered woman talking to the man who may be the murderer. Early um, example of what we now come to accept as normal doorbell video footage. This bloke was just filming the street and they believe that it may have included the, the perp, the perpetrator. Uh, the film was shot by one of four men employed by one Paul Schenkel of Uxbridge Road, Shepherd's Bush. There we are. Well, Mr. Mr Mussolini is boasting about his 8 million strong army. Italy could mobilise 8 million men within a few hours to so the menacing words of Signor Mussolini, well, yes, we'll come back to that later on in the 1940s, Signor Mussolini. So there we have it. Um, Daily Herald, August the 31st, 1936. Front page news after a disappointing loss for the Lions, after a big build-up of the summertime. Nothing new in this life, dear listeners, is there? Hope you've enjoyed this little uh, whimsy. Until the next edition of Achtung Mill, my name is Nick Carp, signing out from my back garden. Hope there wasn't too much background noise. Just came to me in a flash to do it. Till the next edition. Thank you for listening and bye for now. Achtung, Millwall. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.